Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. It seems to us that many Christians have forgotten that Jesus was a saving preacher. Not only did he die for our sins, not only was he raised from the dead by his Father, and taken to be at the right hand of God, where he presently sits, pending his arrival in power and glory. But Jesus, for some three and a half years, preached the saving gospel about the kingdom of God. There's only one gospel in the Bible, and it's beautifully defined for us by Jesus himself. Jesus was the original preacher of the gospel, and it has a title. It's called The Gospel or Good News About the Kingdom of God. Jesus begins by exhorting the crowds who listened to him to repent, that's to say, change their minds, have their sins forgiven, have their blasphemies wiped away, their wrongdoing expunged, and not only that, but to believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God. You'll read this in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This famous passage encapsulates the essence of the Christian faith, It summarizes the activity of Jesus, of the apostles, and it gives us a basis for our own preaching and teaching of the gospel. Jesus, you see, was a preacher of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he said, I must preach the gospel of the kingdom to other cities also. That's the reason I was sent. I'm sure you remember that Jesus said to the apostles, As God sent me, so I send you, and so on, incidentally, down to the end of the age when Christ returns. As Jesus was sent, the apostles were sent, and all Christians, in their various ways, are sent. Sent to do what? Well, to preach the same gospel as Jesus preached. I must preach the gospel about the kingdom of God, Jesus said, clearly in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. And he sends his disciples to do exactly the same thing. That was the reason why God commissioned him. So he said in that classic verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Why then do we not hear a clear definition of the Christian faith? Why do we seem to hear only that Jesus died for our sins and rose again? Is that the totality of the gospel? It cannot be, because Jesus preached the gospel for years And he sent out the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom for years, even before they understood a word about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look in Luke chapter 18, you will find that the disciples there were rather astonished to hear that Jesus was going to die. And yet earlier in the book of Luke, they had not only learned the gospel from Jesus, they had been preaching the gospel, and that gospel was labeled the gospel about the kingdom. Therefore, the Christian gospel cannot consist only of the death and resurrection of Jesus. It must also contain that more fundamental element that Jesus demonstrated so well for us when he proclaimed himself the prototype preacher of the gospel of the kingdom. May I make this fundamental point as clear as I possibly can? Luke 4 verse 43 announces the fact that Jesus thought of his mission as a preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, and evangelizing about the kingdom of God. That's the reason why God had commissioned him. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. 
And in the very next verse, in chapter 5, verse 1, we receive a further definition of this gospel of the kingdom of God. It's called here the Word of God, God's Word. So God's Word does not just mean the Bible. It's not a synonym for the Scriptures exactly. It's a technical term as a substitute for the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's God's message or God's Word. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 3, we find Jesus teaching that's to say, giving an exposition and a clarification of his central theme, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Everything in the teaching of Jesus then is rooted in this fundamental message concerning the kingdom. As we follow the story of Jesus' ministry through the gospel of Luke, we find in chapter 8 a most important statement in regard to the effect of his preaching on different types of persons. This, of course, is the famous parable about the seed or the soils, the different characteristics in human personality in regard to the fact that they either receive the message of the kingdom or they refuse it. You see, according to Luke 8.12, the critical factor in conversion is the acceptance or non-acceptance of Jesus' message about the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, verse 19. Luke's version of that parable speaks of the Word of God. We've already seen that in Luke's terminology, that's a synonym for the gospel of the kingdom. When anyone hears this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, the devil tries to snatch away that message which has been sown as an idea in his heart so that he may not believe it and be saved. I want to submit to you that Luke 8.12 tells us in no uncertain terms that salvation is dependent upon an intelligent reception, an open-minded embracing of Jesus' gospel about the kingdom of God, which at this stage in the preaching did not yet include any information about his death or resurrection. Following the story through the gospel of Luke, in chapter 9 of Luke, we find in verse 2 that Jesus now sends out the apostles, the twelve, to proclaim or herald the kingdom of God. Well, of course, that was Jesus' message, and he's now extending that message via his agents, the chosen twelve. Down in verse 6 of Luke 9, this activity of the proclamation of the kingdom of God is defined as preaching the gospel. That's a fundamentally important equation throughout the New Testament. The preaching of the gospel always means the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Luke 9, verse 2 and 6. And down in verse 11, the multitudes were aware of this, and they followed Jesus, and welcoming them, he, Jesus, began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. That's a typical scene in the ministry of Jesus. He always initiates a conversation with a discussion about the kingdom of God, the saving gospel. And then in Luke 10 we find that Jesus appointed 70 others to become gospel of the kingdom preachers. They're sent out, and in verse 9 we read that their proclamation has to do with the kingdom of God being near to them. The kingdom of God is at hand, exactly the same message as Jesus had announced at the beginning. In chapter 11 we have a reference to the coming of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come is to be the central prayer of all disciples, proving, of course, that the kingdom of God had not yet come, it was still lying in the future to them, as it still lies in the future to us. 
That's why we're still praying, Thy kingdom come. It's a prayer for the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom on the earth. The kingdom of God, therefore, is the underlying motif in all of Jesus' preaching. Indeed, in Luke 12, verse 31, he says, Seek first the kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek for God's kingdom, and the necessities of life will be supplied by God. Everything revolves around the coming of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 28, Jesus refers to a time when people will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. That's, of course, the great future event associated with Jesus' second coming. The kingdom of God, therefore, is the goal of the Christian faith. It's to enter the kingdom of God, to inherit the kingdom of God, to obtain the kingdom of God, which forms the objective of all Christian effort. In Luke chapter 19, further information is given about the kingdom. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That's because Jesus was standing near to Jerusalem. You'll find that in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Naturally enough, since Jerusalem, as everybody knew, was to be the kingdom's capital, Jesus, as Messiah, was expected to take up his rulership in the kingdom immediately, since he was standing so close to the capital. He told them a most significant parable in which he described his preliminary disappearance to heaven for a period of time after which he would return as the nobleman to exercise his God-given right in the kingdom of God. It would be at that time that he would appoint his disciples as rulers over five or ten cities. You see, Jesus thought of the kingdom as a real government on this earth. Heaven in the Bible is not the objective to which Jesus calls us its rulership in the kingdom of God on the earth. Blessed are the meek, he said, they're going to have the earth as their inheritance. It's clear then that Jesus was a kingdom preacher and that he dispatched his disciples to preach the very same kingdom and as he continues to dispatch all who will hear his message to spread it far and wide. Remember he said in Luke 9 verse 60 to the young man, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. That's New Testament evangelism. Now my point is simply this, that the kingdom of God gospel precedes information about his death and resurrection. To say that the death and resurrection of Jesus forms the totality of the gospel is to ignore entirely the preaching conducted by Jesus before his death for some three and a half years. You see, in Luke chapter 18, after having given that authority to preach the kingdom to the disciples, we find that they did not understand at this point in the story that Jesus was going to die. Luke 18 verse 31 says this, Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Look, we're going now up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He's going to be delivered to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and mistreat him and spit on him. After they've scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And then Luke reports, They, the apostles, understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. And yet I must remind you that they had been effective and dynamic preachers of the gospel, the gospel about the kingdom, even in the absence of any understanding about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel, then, is beautifully summarized in Acts 8, verse 12, where we read this, 
when they believe Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the things concerning Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. If we continue to follow the story of the activity of the early church through the book of Acts, we find them constantly preaching the very same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus himself had preached. Now, this is hardly surprising, because the church's marching orders given in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 mandate a continuous and continual preaching of the very same teachings and preachings that Jesus had given himself. Take into all the world, he said, and preach to all nations the same teachings as I taught you. That, of course, means carry on the same gospel of the kingdom preaching which I demonstrated to you when I was with you. And Paul, being obedient to his master's orders, did exactly that. In the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, in verse 23, we find Paul from dawn till dusk discussing the things concerning Jesus and, above all, the kingdom of God. And when some of the Jews refused to listen, he said, this very same salvation, the salvation that is involved in belief in the kingdom of God and Jesus, that salvation will now be taken to the Gentiles. They will listen, even if the Jews did not, or some of the Jews did not. And at the very end of Acts, then, in the 30th verse and the 31st verse of Acts 28, we find Paul for two years unhindered preaching the very same gospel of the kingdom of God. That's Christianity. If the gospel of the kingdom is not heard clearly, the Christian faith is in jeopardy. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.